this cross is for others. And we are the others. And now, as people of the cross, our lives, our mission, our purpose is to live in the name of the crucified, resurrected one for others. For others. Several years ago, an NCAA Final Four basketball team, the coach was interviewed, and the reporter said, what's your secret? And all the coach said was this motto, great people do for others. Great people do for others. And I'm going to take that motto and make it our big idea of the message that I want us to consider from Acts chapter 16 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 16. You'll find that on page 925 of your church Bibles. If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, we're delighted to have you here. My name is Randy, as Brenda said. I'm the senior minister here at the church, and we're in a teaching series through the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, when we gather here on Sunday mornings um, as a part of our worship service, we have a large group Bible study, and I'm privileged to be the teacher here, and we just go through the passage of Scripture and learn what God wants to teach us, and we're in the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that talks about the sacrifice of a leader for others. We're going to learn about how the dying of a leader, his agenda, his allegiance to the world, begat life in a spiritual community. And we're beneficiaries of that life here 2,000 years later at Windsor Road Christian Church. Acts chapter 16 We'll be reading, I'm going to just pick up a portion of this passage in verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. 
This is God's Word. Now, our scripture this morning takes place in what Bible teachers call Paul's second missionary journey. I want you to see a map of a portion of this second missionary journey. The Apostle Paul, in his first journey, established some churches, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, right smack dab in the middle of the screen. And a few years later, somewhere between the year A.D. 50 and A.D. 52, Paul, Silas, Timothy proceed to revisit those churches to encourage them. But then Paul ran into a series of closed doors. He wasn't sure where he was supposed to go. And through discerning God's will, he wound up in Troas and then set sail to Europe, Greece, Macedonia. And our scripture reading up in the upper left-hand corner concerns a place called Philippi. Philippi. You can go to Philippi today and see the ruins there. Next slide. That's really quite a beautiful sight. You've got the mountains in the background, and you can see the ancient ruins of the very city that the Apostle Paul visited. And it was quite a sophisticated city. You see that there's an amphitheater that's built into the hillside. And then the next picture is more or less an animated recreation of what the ancient city of Philippi was. And you can see that there's a road that cuts through the city of Philippi called the Ignatian Way, the Via Ignatia. And uh, then there's one more picture, and that is a prison. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. When Paul visited Philippi around 50 A.D., it was already an old city, at least three, 350 years old. Uh, it was originally named Crinides, Crinides, renamed by Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, Macedonia, Greece. Philip of Macedon, Philippi, named after Alexander the Great's father. When the Romans came, they took over that town because that town was the climactic site of the Roman Civil War that transitioned Rome into an empire. And so for Augustus to reward his loyal subjects, he made Philippi into what was called a colony of Rome, a little piece of Rome on foreign soil. And so Military veterans were granted land, and uh, Augustus did not want uh, retired military veterans to be bored in the capital city of Rome. He wanted his empire, he wanted them to spread out across his empire. So they go to Philippi, give them land. There is a gold mine, literally a gold mine, mining for gold there near Philippi. So it's a very, very wealthy area, and it was a place of... Uh, Civic pride. They, they took pride in being Romans. They were Romans, and they were not governed like other cities were because they were a city of Caesar. And two mayors, whom Luke calls magistrates, ran the city, and they fulfilled not only executive functions, but judicial functions. 
And here this proud colony of Rome, uh, order, peace, patriotism, all took the day. And that's our history lesson. I tell you that because that's going to come into play with the verses we see. Paul and his team come to Philippi as a result of a vision of discerning God's will. So they go into Philippi, and the first place that Paul looks for on the Sabbath is a synagogue. But as you'll notice in Philippians, excuse me, Acts chapter 16, verse 11, it says, Setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Notice the we, Luke has joined the group, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and on the Sabbath day, verse 13, here we go, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. There were not enough households to establish a synagogue, so Paul looked for a place of prayer. That's simply just what it was called, a place where households that did not meet the threshold of establishing a synagogue gathered, and there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. So Paul and the missionary team have come and these God-fearing women, they're probably not Hebrew, they're going to be Gentile, but they're praying, they believe in Israel's God and look, they have guests that have come here and oh my goodness, you're a credentialed rabbi. Oh, well, would you please teach us? And so the apostle Paul Preach the gospel to this small place of prayer, this gathering along the riverside. And the, I guess the leader of this place of prayer uh, was a woman by the name of Lydia. One who heard us was a woman, verse 14, named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now notice those four descriptors. Woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira is in what's now modern-day Turkey, Thyatira is a city in a region called Lydia. So you see, she, her name probably wasn't Lydia, but she was known as the Lydia Lady. You know? Who preaches at Windsor Road? Oh, the Okie. See? There it is. So the Lydia Lady from the city of Thyatira, and she's a seller of high-end purple goods. And she's done very well in terms of a career. And she's well enough, she has her own home. And she's a worshiper of God. And as Paul shared the gospel, look at verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul had been amidst closed doors, closed experiences, Closed minds in Asia Minor, but here, as a result of discerning God's will, he goes to Europe, and there's an open heart. And when your heart is open, you want to pay attention to God's Word. When your heart is open, you, you want to read Scripture. When your heart is open, you want to pray. 
When your heart is open, you want to serve. When your heart is open, you want to get connected with other believers. You know? I mean, I have to believe that to some degree or the other, the reason why you're here today is because your heart is open. And your heart may not be as open as you'd like for it to be. And you're not sure how to open it. Or at least there's a part of you that says, I don't want it to be open, but I'd, but I'd like for it to want to be open. Huh? That's, that's good enough. Really. And the Lord opened her heart to what was said by Paul. And she became the first member of the Philippian Christian Church. Verse 15 said, after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged now, she not only opened her heart, but she opened her home to the missionary team. Please, come. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed. I'm not taking no for an answer. Huh? Well, preachers don't say no. Okay, I'm going. They go. And this church is starting. And the week passes, and verse 16 says that they're going back to this place of prayer for worship. And then the weirdest thing happened. While they're on their way to this place of prayer, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke come upon this, uh, this slave girl that Luke says had a spirit, literally, she had a python spirit in her. Have you ever seen such a thing? A python spirit, a spirit of divination. Now, it's interesting in the Gospels, Jesus never diagnosed anyone with demon possession. It seems that everybody knew what the problem was when they brought the person to Jesus. And this girl, she was a slave of owners who were exploiting the possession by fortune-telling. Verse 16 says, a much gain by fortune-telling. So the team encounters her, and she starts shadowing the team following the, wherever they went, the place of prayer, back in the marketplace. And, she, she, and she'd follow and she'd say, she'd say this. She'd say, these bitter servants of the Most High God who will pay to you the way of salvation. These, that's had to be how she said it. You can't, <laughs> right? These men are servants of the Most High God. So, no, that's not how she did. That's what the, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God. And then Paul would go to the place of prayer. These men are servants of the Most High God. Paul went into town. These men are servants. Paul went into the fireside room to meet first-time guests. These men are servants of the Most High God. Yeah. And verse 18, I mean, you know, it's one thing for the enemy to do your advertising for you, but I mean, this was... This was on and on and on and on. And verse 18, Luke does not dress the Apostle Paul up by saying that his heart was filled with compassion over the sweet little girl who was uh, possessed by this evil demon. No, he doesn't say that at all. Luke tells it like it is. Paul was annoyed. Would you stop that? You're bugging me. Come out of her. I command you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And look, and immediately the demon left her. The python spirit slithered away. And that girl was free from the python spirit, but not from the owners, who when they saw that the spirit was gone along with their future earnings, they were absolutely furious. Luke says they saw, they seized, and they dragged. They grabbed Paul and Silas by the collar and they dragged them into the marketplace to see those two magistrates that I told you about earlier, who had not only executive responsibilities in the city, but judicial responsibilities in the city. And when they, when they hurled Paul and Silas before these magistrates, they didn't, uh, they, you know, notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, hey, these two strangers have robbed us of our ability to exploit this little girl. They didn't say that. No, they made it a racial issue, right? These Jews... <laughs> There's the Jews. There you go. These Jews and us Romans. So they otherized Paul and Silas, accusing them of disturbing the city. They're advocating customs that are so un-Roman, and all of a sudden now, a mob is beginning to gather, and here you have these two magistrates. You've got Andy and Barney standing right here by all of the crowds, and there's Paul and Silas, and, and you've got some major stranger danger going on here. That's Mayberry, RFD, Andy, and Barney. Uh, you've got major stranger danger going on and xenophobia that's happening. And you've got these magistrates. They think we're just going to have a cup of coffee and enjoy the morning. But now there's this and they have Paul and Silas and there's this mob and this crowd. And all of a sudden, due process gets thrown out the window and they just commence to the beating look. Verse 22 says, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had flicked many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Look at verse 24. They were in the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. One scholar said, that those, um, they're called lictors, lictors. Those, that's the Macedonian word for um, law enforcement. And those lictors beat their backs to a bloody, swollen lump of lacerated flesh. And they were stuck in the innermost part of that prison, along with the most hardened felons. And their feet were placed in stocks. That means they sat them down, having backs been beaten, and they spread their legs out, secured them in stocks. And so they, Paul and Silas can't lie on their backs. Or it's just going to be blistering. And yet, you know what happens when you try to sit up for long unsupported. Oh, my goodness. What you need to understand about first century incarceration, there was no such thing as a, a department of corrections in the Roman Empire. All right? Um, prison was for the per prison was a holding cell before the trial. And then at the trial, 
The judge decided if you were going to live, if you were going to die, if you were going to be released, if you were going to be beaten some more, if you were going to be sent into exile. One of those options. But prison was not for correction. It was simply a holding tank. And, uh, I mean, these were hardened criminals. They're not going to feed you either. Why, why would Rome spend its money trying to feed hardened criminals. If you are hungry, you better hope your family's nearby or you're just going to die in that prison. And you know what? They, this idea of a speedy trial, you have no idea how long you're going to be stuck in that holding cell. And many people just died there, right there. Paul and Silas, it's dark. Uh, they're in a room with felons. It just doesn't look good. And then all of a sudden, listen, can you hear? In the belly of that prison, you hear? Two voices. Can you hear? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. That's a first century version of that. Singing hymns and praying right at midnight. Verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And what does that last part of that verse 25 say? And the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, church family, other people are listening to you. Other people are watching you. Other people are waiting to see how you're going to respond to your injustice when you're mistreated, when you're unjustly accused, when you're in an uncomfortable situation with people you'd really just rather not be with, other people, they listen when you sing, they listen when you whine, they listen when you pray, they listen when you complain, they're listening. What are they hearing that's coming out of your heart? Great people do for others. And could it be that the very reason why the Apostle Paul, and this hurts to say this because I know where too many of you are, could it be that the reason why the Apostle Paul experienced those closed doors in Asia Minor where they couldn't go to Asia, they couldn't go to Bithynia, could it be that the reason why those doors closed was so that the Holy Spirit could send them not only to that place of prayer, with respectable, God-fearing people, but also to that ugly place, that dark place, that horrible place, that place where really malevolent, uh, malevolent people reside, that God sent Paul there, Paul, to sing and pray. And could it be that God has that for you? Now, are you going to sing? Are you going to pray? Because they're listening. They're listening. And all of this takes place 
not knowing when the one word will appear to change everything. Suddenly, suddenly, and then it came, verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's bonds unfastened. This had to have been an earthquake sent from heaven. So it's an earthquake that shook the foundations, but the walls didn't collapse. It was an earthquake that was enough to shake the hinges off the doors, but nobody died in the rubble. And it was an earthquake where chains fell off and a jailer's worst nightmare occurred, an unsecure prison. And that in a day when the jailer would secure those prisoners with his own life. They got away. It was his responsibility with his own life, which is why when verse 27 says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He races to the doors of the prison and goes deeper and deeper into the belly of that jail, and he realizes, and he can't hear chains, and I'm just going to, it's a, Philippi is a place of honor and respectability. He is going to take his life honorably, and he's about ready to kill himself. And suddenly he hears this loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Somehow in that short time, the apostle Paul had garnished leadership over that entire room by how he responded in his time of injustice. We are all here. And verse 29, the jailer called for the light. See, it's pitch black. These are eyewitness details, church. He rushed in and trembling with fear. This crusty jailer who'd thrown them in the inner cells now is trembling, humbled with fear. Sirs, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I'm not so sure that he asked that question the way some would ask that question at a Billy Graham crusade. All right? Well, then how, what does it mean? It means, can you get me out of this mess? Well, the answer is the same, right? Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Jesus can get you out of this mess. Jesus can get you through this mess. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Baptism, a washing. Huh. Uh, Paul was washed of his wounds, and then the jailer and his household washed of their sins, washed of their past. Listen, one scholar said, baptism does not produce salvation. Baptism is an act of loyalty to the true risen Savior. An avowal of who is on the Lord's side in the cosmic war between God and Satan. Baptism is a visceral reminder to the defeated fallen angels. Every baptism is a reiteration 
declaration of their doom in the wake of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And, and now this jailer who became this brother did for Paul and the team uh, what he would never have done as a jailer. <laughs> what, what jailer invites prisoners to his home? But that's exactly what happened here, right? Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That's the power of the word, isn't it? And then the next day came. And those magistrates... Well, they decided that Paul and Silas had learned their lesson. So we're just going to send them on their way. Tell them not to come back to Mayberry. This is our town. So they sent the lictors, the law enforcement, down to the jailer so the jailer could release Paul and Silas and then go home. And that's what happened. And then when they got to that jail and delivered that news, this otherwise pleasant Hebrew rabbi, this, this hymn singing, prayer offering, uh, 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 word opening, gospel preacher, all of a sudden fire came out of his nostrils. He said, no. Verse 37. They have beat us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. And just then, the Apostle Paul flashed his passport. And I'm telling you, Blood drained from the magistrates' faces when they heard. Oh, my goodness, Andy and Barney. Did, you, did, you, did, 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 we, did we just violate the civil rights of two Roman citizens? I, 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 I didn't know they were, did you, I thought you asked. Well, I didn't ask. I thought you asked. You said you were going. Well, I, what do you, I mean, this, this is serious. This was serious. They could have lost, these two magistrates could have lost their Roman citizenship. They could have lost their jobs. And in, in, in at least one case in Roman history, their lives. I mean, this was bad news, man. This is a scandal. And so, so they, they, the police reported these words to the magistrates. Verse 38, they were afraid when they heard they, that they were Roman citizens. So they came and they apologized to them. So they scurried on down to the jail and, and hey, 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 hugs, no, I'm my, you beat my back, it hurts, I'm a Roman citizen, is this how you treat, you accuse me of being an other, I'm not another, I'm one of you, is this how you treat one of you, hey, 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 sorry, we're sorry, uh, we don't any trouble, um, let's just move beyond this, right? So they took them out. They took, and that's an important phrase. 
Because now you see, it's a place of honor. So now the, the two leading officials in the city personally escort this team in front of the entire community. This is only a community of about five or 10,000. And they're walking out in full view of the public who's watching all this, you see. And they're legitimizing now Paul and Silas as Roman citizens. And listen, by legitimizing Paul and Silas, they are now legitimizing the community, the spiritual community that's been started. So they, they escort them out right through town, through the gates of the city, and say, we, we just kind of like for you to kind of quietly leave. And so they get to the gates of the city. This is great. They get to the gates of the city, and they say, will you please leave now? And after having been all through the city, Paul looks at him and says, no! We're going back to Lydia's house. I'm a Roman citizen. I can do that. I'll leave when I'm good and ready. And that's what happened. Verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. <laughs> and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And that's the story of the first church in Europe, Philippi. Huh. Question. Stay with me. Why did Paul wait until verse 37 to show him his passport? Why didn't he show the passport before the beating commenced? That's what I would do. Hmm. So all Paul could have said was, Civis Romanus Sum, I'm a Roman citizen. At that point, it would have been a whole new game. It's like a suspect who, when arrested, says, I'd like to speak to my lawyer. And that triggers a special series of judicial events uh, because Paul had civil rights as a citizen of Rome. And had he done that, an investigation would have been launched. A territorial governor would have come in. Paul and Silas would have been detained. uh, And the mission would have been stalled, uh, perhaps slowing its momentum. And then Paul and Silas would have had to depend upon the church for sustenance and food, etc. And because of the racial tensions between the Romans and the Jews at that time, For Paul to have said, I am Roman, would have sounded a lot like, oh, I'm not Jew, or I'm not Christian. Because it's not what what you say, it's how people understand what you say. And Paul could have been misunderstood to be a person who preferred his identity in Caesar more than his identity in Christ. And he would have been subtly communicating to this fledgling church that you'd better be Roman if you want to be a Christian or else, well, look. And they are looking. They are watching. And how could Paul ask them to suffer if he was unwilling to suffer? So Paul withholds his passport. He wants this church to get off the ground. He wants them to know that Christ is worth suffering for. The gospel is real. He's not just some fly-by-night spiritual nomad who wants to take. He wants to do for. And he wants to communicate that his citizenship is in Christ is 
worth far more than his citizenship to Rome. And so Paul says, I'm willing to hurt for you. God comes before gain. And so he and Silas are intentionally silent. And when the timing is right, he throws down the ace of spades, his passport. Once he shows him his passport, it's a whole new game. So throwing down his passport is an act of power. But in whose service will that power be? Paul says, I'm going to put it for you because great people do for others. And in suffering, Paul follows his high king who died on the cross there and then burst forth from the belly of the tomb on that first Easter morning. And later, Paul would say to this church in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead church family great people do for others gospel people do for others Paul and Silas are free Roman citizens but foremost they are slaves to Jesus Christ amen you know some countries have dual citizenships and that's really good as long as those countries aren't at war with each other but I want you to know that the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God are at war, and you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. And Paul did. That's why he would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power comes from God and not from us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in your body. Jesus, I want to die like you so that others can live because gospel people do for others. And that's, that's us. That's what needs to happen. And you know what? Listen, what a church came from that. You could not pick three more different members of any spiritual community than the, these three in Philippi, right? You've got an upper class garment executive with a spacious home. You've got a lower class slave girl de healed of her demons and you've got a crusty middle class jailer. I mean, why would they want to be in the same room except for Jesus? Hmm. So much for the homogenous unit principle. So much for saying, oh, birds of a feather flock together. No, no. The only thing we have homogenous about us is our sin and Jesus' mercy for us. And now, listen, listen. Now you are being called to follow in the footsteps of Paul. Question. We're almost done. What needs to die in your life so that others may flourish? What is it? If I was talking to a room full of pastors right now, I would say, what, what, needs to be, what needs to be crucified? What needs to be put on that cross? Is it ministry glory? Is that it? Really, just spend a night in the belly of a 
jail. We'll fix you of that. Is it the spotlight? Is it being in front of other people? Is that what we think? We think, we think ministry is what I do up here, but then when I come down here, I'm not doing ministry. Who, who taught you that? What is that? Is, is it an expectation of what you think church ought to be like? Or maybe that expectation needs to be crucified. Is it a root of bitterness? Is it anger? Is it a non-essential theological point? A non-essential. I'm not talking about the bodily resurrection of Christ. We're not talking about the virgin birth. We're not talking about the, the, uh, trini the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, no, no. We're talking about something non-essential. Is it entitlement? You know, one of the biggest things that I fear about myself, having been here almost 29 years, is that, is, is that I have... I've got to fight the attitude, well, I've been here 29 years. They owe me. Really? Really? Sometimes I just have to say that out loud to hear how stupid that sounds. They owe me? What, what Randy, what do you have that has not been given to you? See, all of your life is by grace. And the Paul who started this church did so on his bloody back. And it's the same Paul that said in Philippians chapter 2, you stop clinging. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being very nature, God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let go. Let go. Paul, Paul did not want anybody to join the church because he was a Roman citizen. He wanted them to join the church because he was a servant of Christ. And he was willing to crucify his status for the furtherance of the kingdom. What are you willing to crucify? Well, I want to invite you to do that this morning. You've got little black sheets of paper there that's on your sheet, on your chair. We're going to go into a time of communion. And if you want to, um, if you want to, you scribble what needs to be crucified. And you come, we've got hammers and nails and you put it on that cross. And then you take communion in the name of the one who relinquished it all for you. Great people, gospel people, Jesus people do for others. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing. And while we sing, you just make your way up. If you need to do some hammering, we got hammers, and we've got communion. Don't feel like you have to be a member of the church to participate. If Jesus is your king, why, these communion emblems are open for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing us about the life you want us to live and loving us to death only by the power of God, suddenly the Father raised you. And Lord, where you are is our destiny. You came and you gave us life. And thank you. Continue to open our hearts in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.